0: This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. One of my favorite parts of recording this podcast, and actually how the podcast was formed, was I decided to just start interviewing Dad to try and gain an insight and share his knowledge and wisdom about training and racing. And... We call him the super coach for a reason, because he has this superpower to just have an insanely, insanely high racing IQ that 99 times out of 100 is the right answer. And I was talking to my brothers about this, and one of them made a great point saying he's been training and racing at the highest level possible since he was a national champion at under 10s athletics. So today was one of those days on the podcast where we ended up just having a really honest and raw conversation that I absolutely love. Because Basically, we sat down to record this episode, and we had a totally different topic in mind We started talking about some specific race tactics after a race here in Oz last weekend, and we ended up having a super powerful conversation that went on for an hour. And this is dad in his prime coaching element. And although it's specifically about a bike race, the mindset and tactics here are just so relevant for all athletes, triathletes and runners included. And I've been listening to him for 30 years and still love that I can hear new information And so I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And please ignore sometimes when we reference what the topic of the day was supposed to be, we kept meaning to get to it and it never happened. Uh, We'll be recording that episode again this week. But with that, welcome back to another episode. Here we're going to cut straight into our normal starting segment, What Are You Grateful For?
1: Thanks, George. Uh, Looking forward to this segment, um, uh, this podcast again. Uh, My gratitude is a little bit long-winded, but I'll try to keep it short, but uh, I kind of keep saying over and over that i'm really grateful to have a, a job in a position where i can especially in the last couple of months i reckon the last few weeks specifically where there's been some really uh big races occurring for a lot of the athletes that we're coaching whether it's runners doing a marathon cyclists doing the tour de bright which we're going to talk about um triathletes doing um man and half Ironman man in the last month and etc etc and i my gratitude is not that I'm able to be a coach of these people. That's really, that's really important. But the fun part about coaching is seeing athletes actually train and prepare like, like they should be and really understanding and trusting the process and being on board with it and, and really uh, giving 100% to the trust factor. That, that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the athletes are, are really on a journey with me Um, and together we're nutting out how we can enable them to perform their best on the day that counts so much to them they're putting so much time into into this uh this sport whatever it be a cyclist or triathlete or a marathon runner or a mountain biker and for them to actually get the outcome they want on race day i'm really i'm really grateful for for that opportunity and and then at the end of that that particular event that they're they're targeting for that season it's so rewarding and this is what I'm really grateful for is for them to contact me and and you know it's quite emotional sometimes where you know I just can't believe I achieved the things that I never thought I could and and it's all to do with you know the journey that you and I are on together and and I really want to share this uh, this excitement with you, and that's the bit that um, I'm really grateful for. I'm grateful to be around these people who are motivated, and in, and they're inspiring others as well. Um, when we talk about them on our podcast, uh, it's inspiring when you hear stories. These aren't fictitious stories; these are real stories of real people uh, achieving their their you know their ultimate goals in in a season. And and that's the part that I actually really I'm um, grateful for and not the fact that people are contacting me saying, you know, thanks for the journey, but the fact that they actually want to do that. And, and they feel like, um, without the two of us, uh, whether it's, you know, been three months, six months or three years, um, it takes, it takes a team to get, and, and I'm just part of that team. And it takes their family and their friends and their supporters and their parents and, you know, their, their wives or husbands who are just supporting them—it's a huge team effort to get where you want to be. And for those who you think it's all about an individual effort, you're mistaken. And and you you actually need to step back after you've done your um, your season A event and and really think about how how you got there and the people who contributed to getting you there. And I'm not talking about me as a coach. I'm talking about the other people in your in your uh, little circle. So, um, so yeah, just don't forget to, to, to do that, but I'm grateful for the, the amount of uh, thanks I get for um, getting people to where they want to be.
0: It's a great one. And it seems really relevant because we've just, I feel like every week on the podcast, we're going, Oh, there was another race this weekend and there was another event this weekend. And we had a whole bunch of athletes competing and it it is a really rewarding part of the process, especially when there's a lack of races over winter where you don't see so many athletes competing. Um, And that, is especially the case because there was an Ironman on the weekend, and I feel like an Ironman's always one of those more emotional ones. Not that any other race has any less meaning—a half Ironman or um, a bike race or a running five k, ten k—but there is something quite prestigious about the Ironman. Still, even though it seems like when you're in this industry and world, you know people are doing it every weekend. Uh, I think you know, I will always remember something clearly he said to me. Um, when someone does it, it's in- incredibly special, even if it's their fifth one or the eighth one, it's incredibly special. And that always stood out that you know, just it's just such a brutal event. And just because it's more common doesn't take away from that fact. And when you're in that and you're in the fourth hour of your marathon after eight or 10 hours or 12 hours in the day so far, um, you're definitely well aware of, of how much it is. And it was fun. We were actually watching the end of the uh, Ironman Western Australia on the TV, just looking for some trivelo athletes. And Um, you do really get a sense of how hard the effort is when you're watching all these athletes crawl across the finish line. People are just getting around the corner and then they lift their hands up to celebrate to their friends and family and then fall down the ground and cramp because they've been in one motion the whole time. Um, So yeah, that's a really good gratitude. Mine uh, is a little bit about um, a similar topic of, of racing and that is I jumped on the TT bike for the first time in a long time and a lot of months uh, this week. And I was a bit apprehensive about it and jumped into a, Individual time trial on Tuesday night, which is a pretty hectic thing to do first ride up. Actually, the day before, I jumped on for 20 minutes just to make sure I remembered how to ride the thing. When when you haven't ridden it for a while, it's totally different. Um, And my gratitude is, I forgot how fun they are. I forgot how good it is to uh, ride the TT bike. And as I said, I was a bit apprehensive because it's kind of frustrating and it can be a little bit humbling to jump on the bike any bike again but specifically a time trial bike in that pretty exposed position um and then know that you're not in form, know that you haven't got the muscle specificity for it and have to ride around and punish yourself and it's really uncomfortable because you're not fit for it um but it was outweighed by how much fun it was to to go fast on the tt bike and when you get your full race set up on there and we're lucky enough to have the disc wheels on there on the giant trinity and um yeah when yeah this this course has a bit of a descent and when you come over the crest and then you hit the descent hard and you're going 55 60 k's an hour right in the touch position it, it feels pretty good so uh, really grateful for that experience it's, it's good to be back
1: It's yeah, a good one and uh it is a bit humbling isn't it when you've been at a level before and you haven't been on the thing for eight months and the expectation is i'll just be able to ride <laughs> where i left off and this is such a specific uh position and no amount of road riding on a road bike is going to, you know, enable you to ride to your potential until you've had, you know, you'll be better off for that race. But, you know, if you did that race two or three weeks time, you'd probably be 5% better just because you've you've been on the bike a few times.
0: And we speak a lot about um, uh, knowing the course. This was a really fun course because it's five laps of the same course. And uh, we only got one lap warm-up on the course. And so... when when you're on the TT bike, you're using that one lap to really try and figure out the corners and where you can go. And it took me till the fifth lap to figure it out. And I finally hit the corners really perfectly and was really put not off the gas as much as the first four laps because the first lap, you're kind of really hesitating. The second lap, you do a little bit more. third lap, you do a little bit more. And it's just another example of knowing the course and um, how important a course recon is because I wasted four-fifths of the actual ride trying to figure out the corners and losing time. And I know a few other athletes felt the same thing. So, Before we get into the main topic, a topic we really want to touch on and talk about, which you mentioned, which was super exciting for us, uh, was we had a stage race here last weekend, and and we think it's one of the best races in Australia uh, because it's a stage race, and stage race cycling is is so fun, Um, and it's basically three stages up in the um, Alpine region of Victoria, uh, really unbelievable, beautiful riding. And it's a road race in the morning, the Saturday morning, then an individual time trial the Saturday afternoon, and then a mountain stage on the Sunday morning. And it's a classic general general classification stage race, so your total time is taken from all the stages uh, with an overall GC jersey awarded, plus sprint jerseys and and KOM jerseys as well. And we just want to talk about how that unfolded because for us, uh, it was super fun. We had a few riders in it who ended up competing for the win in their categories. And it was like being the director sportifs in the car, in the team car, in the Tour de France because the tactics were unfolding. We we couldn't couldn't watch it live, obviously, but after each stage, you're reassessing what what unfolded, the tactics that the athletes were using, what's the strategy for the next stage, and then we had some pretty interesting positions lining up for the final stage that we really need to discuss the tactics. So I want to go through it because it was really exciting.
1: Yeah, and uh, this is quite a, uh, an old and prestigious event that's been going. I, I think it started in the nineties, nineteen nineties. So it has been going quite a long time, and the structure of the the event has pretty much stayed the same. It, it's had variations. We've had different uh, mountain stop, mountain top finishes. We've finished at Mount Hotham and uh, this particular time now we're finishing at the top of Mount Buffalo. Um, and in this bright region, you've got uh, three fantastic uh, uh, mountains that are all within pretty much 20 kilometres of each other um, to 30 kilometres. You've got um, Falls Creek, which is one of the really good ski resorts uh, for the Alpine region in Victoria. And you've got Mount Hotham, which is another ski resort. And you've got Mount Buffalo, which is a little bit less uh, elevation than the other two. But but this is what you've got three, three mountains in such a, a close proximity to the town of Bright. Um, and it has become the mecca of... Uh, training camps and and obviously the Tour of Bright race in itself so over the last 30 years almost um, I've had something to do with this race whether I've been in it or whether I've been uh, supporting it or coaching people to it and and you know I think the numbers this year were probably the best I've seen in a long time and um, it's really great to see people putting themselves and it's a great weekend away anyway and there's an opportunity to ride as teams um, or you can ride as an individual. Um, there's uh, the National Road Series, uh, which is the elite cyclists of, of Australia. Uh, that's one of the races uh, in their calendar. And there's also Open Age Group, uh, B grade, C grade. And there's Masters Category, A grade, B grade, C grade, and plus 55 um, for male and female. Um, so there are, there are lots of categories that people can compete in, which is, I think, the attraction where people can actually find their level um and you know compete against people who are similar ability. so so setting the scene for this this particular um, stage race is uh it's 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 a really tough uh f- opening stage of around ninety three k and it finishes on a on a hilltop which is a, a hill called towanga gap, and that is about i don't know the 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 NRS guys did it in about eighteen or nineteen minutes flat out. And the rest of the field from the NRS all the way down to the master's lowest category, they're doing somewhere around twenty to thirty minutes for that climb. Um at the end of 92k. Um so, so it's a tough little finish. And the NRS riders ride an extra bit, they ride halfway up False Creek and then turn around and come back down. So their ride is actually longer than the, the other races, but but that's the that's the scene for stage one and and that really sets up the whole tour, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And it's awesome to see um, the biggest name of the race was Luke Plapp, you know, really gun um, Australian cyclist, rides professionally for Ineos. And he was really pumping up the race on social media, just saying how much he loves it. And he's home for the summer, getting ready for the National Road Series here in a month's time, uh, where he's going to defend his National Champions jersey. Uh, But to see someone of his calibre, you know, an Ineos rider who's that good, um, riding this race and really pumping it up shows, um, sort of the quality, and it was really exciting to watch. And Richie, it was, Richie, uh, I
1: just want to tell you, Richie Port's done this race as well, George. Yeah, um, yeah, um, so he's
0: prime as well. There's been yeah. some
1: good riders who've done the Tour of Bright and gone on to be great riders.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of great riders that have done it, I think it was almost the 10 year anniversary where you had many cracks at this race, and I think it was, it was almost half a dozen or plus years you went in a row and just couldn't conquer it and it shows how tough it is to win a stage race because you've got to do well in all three races and if you drop somewhere if something happens you have a crash you have a mechanical you have a bad stage which can easily happen you make some mistakes or, or and we know in cycling and any race in a triathlon some tactical errors can really cost you and so to go through all three stages and execute well and be smart tactically to win is really tough uh, and it took you a while but I think it was nine or ten years ago to this year that you finally took the title uh, of Tour of Bright and so it was awesome to see that happened kind of ten years ago and then um, this year you were really on the sidelines as a coach that's right isn't it 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 your first one was
1: yeah and you don't need to bring up that in the past but, um, (laughs) but certainly having a Tour of Bright uh uh General classification jersey is, is something that I take a lot of pride in, and the guys who have actually won that uh, tour, um, I'm sure they would all feel the same. Luke Plapp, I know he's ridden many prestigious races around the world, but it was interesting to hear him say that um, this is really special to him, and he loves this region. Um, and there are many, many guys who have won their GC in, the, in their in their categories uh, for this, and obviously there's stage wins, and that's just the next uh, level below the GC. Um, lots of guys have won the you know a, a stage win in the time trial or the or the stage one or the buffalo um, uh, mountaintop finish that, that's pretty prestigious and there's also the KOM jerseys and the sprint jerseys so there's lots of things for people to to uh, aspire to win and they actually uh, have an impact on the race when you know there's a sprint prem coming up and you don't know whether some of the riders who are going for GC are actually bluffing when they're going with the sprinters and do they want to get a gap after the sprint's done just like you see at the Tour de France or the Giro or the Welter you're getting all these things happening in the middle of the race that could form a different uh, perspective of what happens in the race so it's it's quite exciting the riders have to actually think a lot about um, how their tactics are going to play out if they're actually going for just the sprint or they're going for just the time trial or or stage one, that suits them better than the hilltop finish or the whole general classification is what they're going for. So, so yeah, it's uh, it, you have to be training according to what you think your strengths are. And that's the bit that I love the most about this.
0: Yeah, so I want to start with uh, Nick's performance in stage one. So uh, he's our cycling coach. We've spoken about him a lot on this podcast for various reasons. But um, one of the key ones was that we have mentioned um, parts of his training program that we've adapted uh, over the years and specifically this year. And uh, he came right into form into this race. And this was actually wasn't his A race. This was a bit of a B race. Um, National was coming up is more of an A race, but he's, that doesn't mean he wasn't giving it his out of absolute 100%. And he came here to do um, as good a performance as possible. And, uh he made the breakaway in stage one and then got to the final climb and um it was pretty incredible looking at his power and this just shows what form can do, what tapering can do, and what the right kind of training structure can do with you know, he's had such a good period of block of training this year and consistency with so many things combined into the kind of the pot of training. Um, all these one percenters that he's included and, and done really well in terms of strength training, nutrition, diet. Um, his watts per kilo has gone up, you know, he's really leaned up um but kept his power increasing. Um, which is just double benefit. And he flew up this climb and we were just chatting today. And he figured out that he did an all-time PB watts per kilo for the 20 minutes up the last climb to take the win on stage one. Um, And that was better watts per kilo than he's ever done for a fresh 20 minutes. So, that's a pretty incredible performance for stage one of the tour
1: yeah you've got to be happy with that if you're an athlete isn't it uh, and that's after 90k and in that 90 in that 90k he was actually in the break um of it's four your
0: rolling turns hard yeah. you're burning matches yeah like,
1: four riders and there is another climb halfway through this particular stage it goes for about 8 to 10 minutes depending on your level and you know that that's a, not something to be dismissed either because that's going to take a little bit of the edge off What you're going to do on the last climb and of course when you're in the breakaway it's every man for themselves for that last climb and and if you've burnt too many matches along the way then you're going to suffer when it really counts the most and and you know if you're in a small group in a breakaway it's really hard to hide because you know you can't do the the wrong thing and not contribute and then and then you know smash everybody at the finish that that's actually not the thing to do in a breakaway you know you want everybody to contribute equally and and so the strongest rider will actually win on that climb and that's exactly what happened he ended up winning by a minute 23 i think and the main peloton were five minutes behind him um and that set up his whole tour and there were some great riders in the peloton who probably didn't know too much about who nick was which was pretty fortunate and and almost didn't rate him maybe and that was a little bit of a mistake by them and i'm not sure if that's the scenario but to let to let four or five guys go up the road and there were some other good riders in that in that uh, breakaway group um and this is a team event as well so two of the teams were represented in the break so that also contributes to those team members back in the peloton either backing the guy in the break to win the stage or um to keep the brake within close proximity in case one of their guys falters so that one of the guys in the main bunch can actually take over. But to let them go by five minutes, I think they underestimated how good Nick climbed. And if they had got to the bottom of the climb and Nick had been so tired that he rode probably two or three minutes slower than he did, then they would have only been two minutes down and that would have been a different scenario for the rest of the race. So it was a really great move by Nick to get in the brake in the first place and then ride so well um, uh, at the finish to, you know, to, to ride within himself, but really push once he knew that he, you know, time was everything, to get as many seconds on on the main peloton who were his rivals for the rest of the tour, the time trial and the hill climb. And boy, did he make the most of that. It was, it was a really outstanding performance on stage one.
0: And I have to mention that move to get in the break. It was really high um, IQ intelligence of cycling because he looked around and saw a few guys go and realized that two of the main teams each had a rider in that break. And he went, well, they're happy with that. And if I don't jump in this, I'm going to miss the break. And so in a split second, he made that jump. And if he hadn't made it that time, he probably would have missed it. He bridged across, which is a really hard thing to do solo. Um, but if he hadn't done that, there was probably stage one over because as you said, that, that Alessic brand broke The Peloton eased up and oh, we don't know exactly what they did, but they ended up um, four to five minutes behind. And, and um, that was the move, you know, you don't do that, you don't win. And so the keyword used there was right within himself still, which is pretty incredible that he got a PB, but still had to try and just hold something back. Uh, because a few hours later, you're you're signing up for an individual time trial. And this was great for us because um, we've spoken a lot about how much we back ourselves as travel athletes, individual time trial. And that came out, out of the five categories of Masters A, B, C, um, Masters 55 plus, uh, we won Two of the um, five categories in the individual time trial, and so that was a great afternoon for us as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, in one of the categories, uh, we had five riders, uh, and we in the time trial got first, second, and third in that actual race. And that's that's uh, kudos to those guys. Uh, and they were all racing each other in that in that division. And I think there was ten seconds between all three. Uh, 10 seconds between first and second, and t- same between second and third. So that was pretty, pretty special to see. And uh, who the order of who was going to win that um, was intriguing because it was a little bit of a mixed order compared to what I thought was going to happen. Um, and uh, that was also an exciting race where uh, at the end of the time trial, we had three Trivalo riders leading the general classification going into the last stage. Um, in the Masters A category, we had Nick, and in the Masters C category, we had. Uh, Chris Benton and the Masters 55 we had Alan Adams leading by eight seconds and um and Joe Spano who'd won the previous tour twice in a row was trying to go for a three in a row which uh the backstory to that is generally Joe is one of the best tour stage riders going around having won two in a row he's trying to do his third Um, and he won't tell anybody this but three weeks out before that Event he actually crashed in one of the races at Sandown, the race we were talking about earlier, um, and uh, had a really bad swollen knee and some really really poor uh, skin off his elbow, knee, hip, and um, and shoulder, and and couldn't really train for the next two weeks properly, um, and that really affected his uh, preparation. Then on the day on stage one, uh, his his gearing stopped working and he only had one gear for the climb on Tawonga. And that's pretty incredible that he actually only lost a minute 50 on stage one uh, with with his bike malfunctioning and so much so that he couldn't use it the next day. His wife drove from Geelong back to Melbourne, which is about an hour and a half drive, then got his other spare bike and and drove that bike to Bright which is a four-hour drive, so that he could actually race the next day. And um, uh, real kudos to talk about people supporting you. Joe's wife, Mel, what, what a story that is. And and Joe ended up riding uh, okay and ended up getting fourth on, on the tour. Um, but disappointing that he didn't win, but but so many things can happen in this race that if you're not on 100%, you, you risk the f- – someone else knocking you off and, and they're things that were really out of Joe's control. And I'm going on about this a little bit longer than probably I should, but I want to make the point that it doesn't always go well. And, and I was super impressed with Joe's uh, ability to maintain calmness and not complain and, you know, rant and rave and get upset. And no one would know that those things were happening, you know, because Joe was just calm and even, and and not using those as excuses and that to me is a measure of you know a, a great human being
0: yeah spot on um yeah couldn't couldn't agree with that anymore and and it's just the the toughness of this race and that's why it sh- shows how hard it is to win one let alone two in a row because everything has to go pretty well and you have to be pretty on you yourself and luck has to be on your side a little bit as well and so we finished stage two of the individual time trial with nick in the lead but he's later been cut into a little bit he is actually um The fatigue had caught up with him a little bit from stage one. He didn't execute um, as well as he wanted. Um, Maybe that, yeah, that fatigue from the morning was still there. Um, We know he probably on a fresh day would perform better, but that's part of the stage race. And so he went into the final stage on the Sunday with, I think, a 40-second lead or a 37-second lead. Um, Chris was in the lead, as he said, and then Al had a seven-second lead. And I think we had first, third, and fourth in that category with um, so after the boys won first, second, and third in the GC, we had first, third, and fourth, which is a very Yumbo Visma style <laughs> kind of position to be in, you know, with multiple team leaders, Sep course Jonas, and um, Roglic <laughs> all could potentially be winning. So it, you go into the final stage thinking what's going to happen here. And Saturday night, it was, it was pretty hilarious with the amount of phone calls happening. And it's a little bit different here because we, as much as we're a team, um, these guys are riding individually. And so uh, rather than it being, you know, uh, a grand tour where there's one dedicated rider, where Yumbo Business trying to you know really make sure someone wins. You're trying to give each guy the best best chance to win, so you're having individual conversations, telling these guys openly what they should be doing, what their best tactic is, but making sure that none of them are riding in a way that is going to just play into the hands of anyone else. And, you know, they can, they can use the fact that their teammates to their advantage a little bit. And that's, that's the advantage of having teammates in there. So it was really exciting to kind of have those conversations. You know, Al was going to bed that night with a seven second lead. That's pretty nerve wracking going into the, the final mountain stage going, I've got to hold this seven seconds. Uh, and same as Nick, he's got 40 seconds. And the thing with Nick was he, we were supposed to have four riders in that race with Nick. Uh, we ended up with just him uh, for various reasons. And, Uh, With no teammates around, he's in a very vulnerable position where all the other teams can attack the crap out of him and he's got to try and defend it all by himself. And no man is strong enough to defend every single attack. So then you go, okay, well, how do I play this out? How do I actually go through this final stage and look for the good attacks, um, try and cover everything I can, but not get burnt out by trying to cover everything myself and just let them absolutely overrun me. So... It's interesting Saturday night going to the final stage Sunday and it's all down to this stage.
1: Yeah, and look, uh, just uh, with the time trial for Nick, having been in the break all day, uh, you are going to have burnt more matches than those guys who are sitting in the peloton. And, you know, some of the guys in the peloton might have been having to work at the front to keep the, the gap down between the breakaway and the bunch, but I'm sure there would be protected riders in that peloton who barely saw the wind. Whereas the four or five riders in the breakaway had a way harder day, so for Nick to only lose twenty or thirty seconds from his best on his time trial was quite a good. Uh, uh, um, I suppose the word is when you're defending or limiting your losses. That is that is actually what we're trying to what we're trying to do here, and that was the tactic we talked about. You know, the time trial. You know, don't blow yourself up and lose a minute thirty here. Just just ride within yourself as well as you can and try to limit your losses so that you, you may only lose 30 or 40 seconds rather than a minute and a half to two minutes, which is going to change change the race scenario. And going into stage three, instead of having a 40-50 second lead, you're actually behind. So so it was really important that he didn't actually go too hard uh, on the time trial, but you know, ride hard enough so he doesn't lose too much time. Um, so you know, the the, the instruction is you know, ride the best time trial you possibly can, knowing you've had, you know, a hundred and something kilometres into your legs um, from the morning compared to the rest of the bunch who have been sitting in the peloton. Um, And and that showed a little bit because he did perform probably 20 to 30 seconds below what we expected. So going into the last stage, you know, the discussion has to be, you can't cover every single attack. It's not possible. You need to identify the people who you think the teams are riding for and just stick like glue to those guys you need to defend rather than uh, go on the counter if you're a pocket or, or a vinegar sure go on the go on the the attack but the fact is you're outnumbered and you know you don't have any team guys to to go with every attack to to cover for you so so he's really up against it and um, I take my hat off to him he's very calm very uh, collected about the way he was going to ride and and I said to him, you know, one of the things you can do is the key guys that you're worried about, whenever they make a move, you are attached to their bike, basically. And when they turn around to see what happens, they just see your ugly face smiling back at them. And if they keep doing that, then eventually you'll overcome and they will stop doing the attacks and their attacks will become weaker and weaker. So, you know, if you've got good form, this is a time to really sh- show that you are, you know, rock solid in and not going to be letting these guys hurt you in any way. And and I think he did a really good job of that. And in the end, um, he, he still was in the front pack at the finish. Um, I think there was a guy up the road who was not a, a threat to his GC. And, and, you know, it was interesting coming to the finish line. Um, all he had to do was get across the line and he won the tour. Um, and I was saying to him, oh, well, you're tempted to have a crack at uh, winning the third stage because he's won stage one. Um, you've won the tour. He actually won the KOM and he won the sprinters jersey along the way. Was that last stage something you were thinking about? And he said, to be honest, I was just so grateful that I, I was winning the GC. At You know, the last stage didn't mean anything to me, really.
0: Yeah, incredible effort to um, stick to those attacks like glue. And, and they did throw everything at him. And he, he said that they, were, they rode some really smart, those other teams. And they knew that they had his number and they were putting guys in the front. that were willing to sacrifice themselves and, and really put the pressure on and try and make Nick crack because they've got, a, they've got, they can afford, they've got a few team members to really ride hard and put Nick under pressure um, to have to follow, um, knowing that they don't have to, you know, last right to the end. They're sacrificing themselves for the teammate. And so um, they, yeah, credit to those other teams. They they rode really smart. They did everything they could. And Nick was just happened to be on, on really good form for the day and was able to hold it. And to take their overall GC win, as well as every single jersey, was uh, a really good achievement. Um, and then moving across to the... Um, the other side where we had first, third and fourth, uh, you know, what was your advice to Al going into that night where he's got a seven second lead? Um, and that was a very smart racer himself. He's very, very ta- uh, tactically savvy. Um, so he knows what to do, but yeah, how was his mindset going to the last stage? And, um, yeah, what was that conversation like?
1: Yeah, I, I, I love coaching Al. Uh, he's the most experienced uh, racer that we have uh, on our roster and he's been doing this, Oh, 20 or 30 years so um it's fantastic to have to come you know i don't have to say much to him it, it's you know he knows actually what he has to do he'd set it up very well on stage one i think he only lost 40 odd seconds uh i think he came in second on stage one and uh the guy who was winning stage one al beat l1 al stage two time trial and and put uh returned the the favor and put 40 or 50 seconds back into the guy who's leading. So um, so he had an eight-second or seven-second lead going into stage three. And obviously, you have to defend that that eight seconds. And the guy who's winning the race uh, is Al, and he doesn't have to do anything but follow the moves from everybody else. And that sounds simple, doesn't it? Just follow the wheels from everybody. But, but you know, obviously, the guy who's trying to win, who's second place, is going to have to throw something at Al. And he could leave it to the last 2K and attack him then, or he could do it in the first 2K, or he could do it halfway up the climb. And for those who don't know this climb, this climb is about 49 minutes for the elite and around 58 to an hour for the, the other grades that are in the race. So everything in between that, I'm talking about the winning times for all, all the divisions. And, and so, you know, you, you're going to be at threshold for around 50 minutes at your threshold after you've done two stages the previous day. So, you know, you are going to be severely tested if uh, someone's got good legs. And, and, you know, the fact that Al lost stage one to the guy who was only eight seconds behind him, um, that guy would have some confidence that he might have Al's measure on the climb. And uh, there were times on the climb Al told me that uh, if the guy had done one more attack, I think the string would have been broken and Al would have been done. But he knew that his tour was on the line and all he had to do... All he had to do, I say so easily, was to hold that wheel and stick to that wheel like glue. And and he did an incredible job. And and every time that guy attacked, um, and there were lots of attacks coming from everybody, um, Al was just cool and calm and uh and you know did his best to, to hold the wheel and ended up coming to the finish line uh with the guy and he was so focused on just staying on that wheel he didn't even think about the stage win as well similar to nick it was just like i've just got to make sure that i finish next to this guy so that the seven seconds stays intact and and yeah the the great time trial that he had that that one in the tour the great tactics that he had that got him this the the stage you know, uh, position in stage one, and and his ability to know what the role he had was just to hold that that guy's wheel, and there could have been you know other Trivelo athletes, Joe and Dave, could have also uh, caused problems for Al as well had they had the legs to do what they what they the opportunity was for them to attack, and mm. you know they were quite a long way down from Al and the other guy um michael it was a minute or a yeah minute half or so yeah minute 50 or minute 40 yeah um so al could afford to let them go to a point and but but knowing that the other guy michael wanted to win the tour that that he would have to chase our other two Trivello guys so so al was in quite a good position um he just had to follow all day
0: we have gone on about this a while, but it's we think it's really valuable. Plus, it's really fun for us to talk about because it's our athletes, but um, it's really valuable to understand the mindset and especially that mental toughness coming to the last stage. One, how do you, you know calm yourself and handle those nerves the night before? You know, What do you do tactically? The more you can just be confident in your tactics, the calmer you can be and the more you can just play it as it comes. Um, and then that mental toughness on the last stage, which I want to talk about one of our travel athletes' advice they gave to Al. But um, before we get there, I asked you a question. Um, and you had a really different answer to me about tactics, which really shocked me. And it was, you know, because Dave and Joe, like you said, they're a little bit down. A minute twenty, and a minute forty, whatever it was. Um, should they be just attacking um, the second place, and then Al can just follow the second guy, um, and uh, should and they potentially can get on the podium or, or see what happens? You know, what's best for them. And you kind of said the absolute opposite. You said that's a big no-no. Um, and can you explain why that was?
1: Well, there's a couple of ways to look at it. If you're going to ride as a team, then you would have those guys on the front for you, dictating the pace and making sure the pace was high enough so that, uh, the, the contender, Michael, who was trying to beat Al would have trouble attacking. And that's a classic jumbo Visma, Ineos, um, Sky method of racing.
0: But we're not domestics riding. That's right. As much as it's a team, it's, it's yeah. still, so yeah, we've got to, still...
1: we've got to, that's irrelevant. So we've got to move on from that. And, and so my tactic to 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 Dave and to Joe was, well, Michael, what Michael has to attack the race if he wants to if he wants to win the race, he has to attack, and so therefore your job is to follow his attacks, um, regardless of what Al does. Both of those guys need to make up an, a minute thirty or forty, so follow the hard attacks from the guy who's trying to win the race, and then let him do most of the work and keep him on the front if he's trying to ride owl off his wheel or attack Al all the time then don't help him do that let him do all the work so that he's getting tired he's sitting on the front of the bunch and then you may have the opportunity when he starts to get tired halfway up the climb where there's still 30 minutes to go or, or 20 minutes to go you can put a minute into someone who's who's actually gone too far too deep and that, that's your opportunity to get your time back and if Al's yeah. good enough he can follow you and still defend the the race and we could end up getting first second and third Um, but as it turned out both joe and dave didn't quite have the legs they 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 followed that plan but when the time came to to actually try and attack uh the guy who was attacking al um, they didn't quite have the legs so so that was the best tactic for him and it turned out that was the best tactic because had they done what they What the normal person would do is, I'm a minute 30 down, I just have to ride as hard as I can. And that would have made it so easy for that other guy contending against Al to follow our guys and then attack everybody because he's Mm. got a free sit the whole way. So there's too many scenarios here to just do the obvious and that's why that was the outcome we suggested
0: no it was super interesting and um one of our travello guys his advice to l which i just absolutely loved and there's a time and place for this um and this is one of our toughest nuts in Trivello. um and he just said to him you hang on to his wheel and you don't let go and if you're not seeing black spots you're not riding hard enough and i i took that into our races this week i thought when it's time to race and you really want to race properly um you kind of want to have that, that killer instinct and that mindset, and and uh, if it means that much to you, then push yourself that far. And that got me hyped up, you know, thinking about that and just going, well, if he really wants this, you know, who's willing to go further? And you gave that example where he said, far out. If there was one more attack, I think it would have popped. And so often that's the case when you're when you're in a race, uh, you're in a in a um, time trial, you're in the run leg of the triathlon. You know, you just you when it's really hurting, uh, potentially you're running next to someone and you're both racing each other. Both of you are hurting because if someone's not getting away, then they're hurting just as much as you and you're both fighting to maintain that pace and um, it's always just a fun mental game to be like who can hold out the longest, you know, who's willing to keep going.
1: Yeah, and it comes down to mentally who's going to give up first and and physiologically, you're both at your limit and what determines the difference? Well, normally, it's just going to be who wants it more. Um, What does it mean to the person and, you know, if you're willing to – to have black spots and pass out, then you're probably going to be that person who's going to. And I've seen many examples of people I coach who are, I, I'm, I look back in awe as to how deep they've gone to actually achieve that goal. And, and this is why I'm trying to go in such detail about about what's happening in the race so that you can understand um, what each each rider is facing um, when they're in this event. And, and, you know, we talk a lot in triathlon about execution Now, we talk a lot about that in marathon running, but in cycling, execution is key as well as those other two sports. But the tactics are far more important, uh, almost 50-50 to your your execution and your ability, your actual... Because there's a lot of times where the best rider doesn't actually win in a a bike race, whereas generally in a running race, the best runner will win, and generally in a triathlon, unless you do something really poor with your nutrition or, or your execution's bad the best triathlete will win generally. And, and that's the point I'm making here is if you understand the nuances about how difficult it is to win a bike race, that's why we get super excited because it's not, it's not that easy to do. And, and you could, as a triathlete, you can actually uh, determine your performances by improvement from race to race. As a cyclist, you go and do a whole season of races and you come 15th, 20th, 30th, 45th, 16th and you may be a way better bike rider than you were at the start of the season but if you're doing it by position you will probably give the sport away because because you can't always win and you don't get a feeling of am i improving um, but you know, when you when you start doing some races, you know that I oh, now I can keep up with the front guys, but I just didn't get the sprint right, or there's some reason why you didn't get a better placing. But there's no real feedback about um, PBs because you know there's just no no reference point in a in a cycling race, criterium, or it's a position that's more important than your performance almost.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting point, and um, I thought about that this week. With I was talking to one of our athletes about time trialing. And I just said, the thing I love about, they were asking me about you know, running background versus cycling background. And I said, the thing I love about cycling is that you you just have to be so much more mentally switched on than, than running. And that's, that's such a generalization to say, and you should always be concentrating when you're running as well. But with cycling, it's almost like every single we're about to talk about this for the kind of cycling fundamentals we want to touch on, but um, every pedal stroke is very important. And you're pushing power through the, through every single pedal stroke. And you're trying to make sure that every single thing you're doing is efficient and, Every single part of your race, whether it's a stage race, whether it's a um, you know, a three-stage bike race, a road race, or a time trial and a triathlon, every single 10 meters, there's something different. Is there a flat section? Has it gone slightly up? Where's my cadence? Because it's slightly increased. Uh, it's gone slightly down here where well, there's a corner coming up. You know, what's, what's my last revolution going into the corner going to be like? Am I keeping my speed up as fast as I can right into that corner? and I just love it for that reason because there's so much to focus on and so much to concentrate on. And you're just, you're just always constantly learning because you go to a new course and you've got to figure out every inch of that course. And if you really want to get the most out of yourself, you know, think about it. I always use this example of a 90-kilometer bike time trial course. There is so much room for improvement and gains, which which I really love. So shout to finish off on this. And we spent a lot of time talking about this. But did you have a note on on that uh, time trial topic?
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And uh, knowledge of the course we've mentioned a lot in our podcast over the, 200 or so podcasts we've done but but uh one of the guys came from wa and had never been on the courses at bright and i made him drive the course uh two days before and uh like when he was in the race you know he couldn't really remember how far there was to go on the mm. Tawonga stage on stage one
0: Such a disadvantage. and it
1: wasn't everybody who was in that event had probably ridden that toonga climb you know i've i've been up it 30 times um and so no it intimately and and for someone who's never been on the climb before you know he was really trying to uh, limit his losses a lot in terms of not pushing too hard and all of a sudden you're losing seconds against against the rest of the field because you're not sure how far to go and um you want
0: to blow yourself up yeah (laughs) there's
1: all these things and had he had he ridden it another you know next time he comes to this race he will be completely different athlete so you know it is really important understanding um a lot about the course
0: yeah, yeah. And look, shout out to Alan Near coming in. Yeah, it's we really, really were proud of those performances. And um, Al, especially, you talk about his tacti- tactical brilliance. He turned up to the local crit race last night, four days after winning the Tour of Bright. I was shocked to see him. I said, What are you doing here? You're supposed to have the week off after <laughs> after winning that race. And um, just talk about his tactics. We were comparing power numbers after the race. I said, oh, What did your average average? Um, and uh normalized and uh his normalized wattage was 60 watts lower than mine and i know there's a bit of a weight difference um a bit heavier than him so um that would make up for some of it but that shows how much he's hiding compared to me and how much less work he's doing compared to me for the hour race you know he's a lot fresher which means he's got more opportunity to to do attacks or stay in a break um and that that's really good riding i think um if you the lower you can get in a crit race of your your average wattage you know probably the smarter you've ridden and um, a lot of us kind of think the opposite. I want to ride as high power as possible. That's just not the case.
1: Yeah. And of course, it, that those those numbers will be different if you're in a break as compared to staying in the bunch. So, you know, it's not always a good guide. You know, you can... Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, the point is, you know, you're trying your best to get to the to the finish, whether you're in a break or whether you're sprinting for the finish with the least amount of energy expended. And when, when you need to draw on that uh, power, that's when you want to have it in spades and not have burnt 10 matches when it really counts. And you can't actually go with the right, the right move that's going up the road. And, and these are things that, you know, bike racing nuances are so critical.
0: Yeah, for sure. And to finish off, we just want to give a real big uh, shout out to Nick for that win. I think um, for us, we've spoken pretty openly about Nick's training and performances a fair few times throughout this podcast and given an insight into what he's been doing. Um, And he's been in the Trivello system now for three years. And we do talk about this kind of magical three-year mark where you can, um, a lot of athletes get to here and they just cross this threshold where they start to just ride almost invincible. And I know you were super proud of the performance and um, for you as, probably one of the all-time performances we've seen from an athlete because um, especially considering his specific dedication I think we both agree that um, there's an absolute gold standard of training and he's probably one of the best most disciplined trainers you've ever seen and we've had um, an Olympian training with us you know who was probably the most dedicated and and you said he's up there or even better than that so It's pretty good, hey?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And everything you said is 100% right. And, you know, sometimes you get what you deserve, sometimes you don't, but generally you will get what you deserve. And if you put all the preparation into it, um, you know, and look, take Joe, for example, in this particular tour, he had prepared beautifully up until three weeks out. And then, you know, it's almost a catastrophe for him with with the outcome. But, you know, that three-year period of being, being, you know, training a certain way, when I look at Al, Al's been with us a lot less time, but he's got thirty or forty years of really good training in in his body, and so he's reaping the benefits right now from from you know being on this on this program for less time. But you know, the, to win a stage tour is something that Al will, you know never forget. It's it's you know he's he's just been at the nationals. He got second in the road race. He got second in the time trial. Uh, sorry, the the criterium, um, which is bit hard to swallow isn't it getting two seconds and then he comes out you know two months later and and not only does he win the time trial he wins the tour Um, and gets second on stage uh, stage one and gets second on stage two three so he's had a damn good tour and and like nick uh, so well deserved and we probably didn't spend much time on al but that was a one of the most superior tactical races that i've seen nick nick did a great job but al actually to have to defend eight seconds is not that easy and and i really take my hat off to him yeah look i totally agree jord uh, everything you've said about nick uh when he first came to us he was a good bike rider and make no mistake about that he had he was an endurance beast, actually, and most of his training was in Zone 2. And And I think the thing that uh, we identified straight away was that he needed to do a lot more intensity in his training. Um, he he felt like he was already doing that in his training. Um, he was riding relatively hard a lot of the time, but he was doing that every day. And so, so those long, hard rides that weren't actually... High intensity, but they were hard work, long rides. You know how fatiguing it is when you do two, three hours. You are very tired, even though you haven't ridden, you know, four, five hundred watt efforts, or you've you've just spent a lot of the day at at two hundred and eighty or three hundred watts, and it's really fatiguing, really tiring. But if you keep doing that day in day out, we you know we hear a lot of people bang on about how great zone two is, and you know that you will be a great rider if you spend most of your time, eighty percent of your time in zone two. Well, Nick was doing that, but he wasn't spending the twenty percent of his time at, you know, 120, 130% of his of his FTP because he was so exhausted from all of that that zone two stuff that wasn't really zone two. It was more like zone three and and riding too hard in those zone two rides. And so he he had he had the capacity and the ability to be a great bike rider four years ago, but he was just doing too much of the same and not enough of less hard riding in zone 2 and more hard riding in the bits that count and top end yeah. and as soon as we as soon as we got that that fatigue level down from all of those long endurance rides and he was fresh enough to ride really hard when it counted his numbers started to progressively grow week by week month by month and and you know and giving him that recovery week after like the staircase effect that we talk about where you train solid for two or three weeks and then, and then give yourself recovery and test yourself again. So then you can go again for the next hard bit and then plateau out so you can recover. And, you know, all of a sudden Nick's, Nick's numbers are, you know, three years later, he's never ridden higher peak power numbers for 30 seconds, almost five seconds all the way through to, to 90 kilometers. Um, Mm. And, and he hasn't, in in fact, trained any harder, but he's just trained smarter with with doing less harder, longer stuff, and and making it easier in zone two, and then being able to ride really hard when it counts in VO two and threshold, and yeah, and that's the that's the thing that Nick's taken on board, and boy, did he do that to the letter. He he didn't deviate. He trusted the pro the process and and had confidence in the program and. And everything that we did together as a coach and an athlete was a discussion about how you're coping with this. And, and I don't think you should do this hard session today because you still haven't recovered from what we're doing before. So it, it wasn't just throw the program and, and you have to do these, these sessions. It was manipulating it so that he was getting, you know, the recovery you needed. And, and he just took to it like Dr. Water. It was just brilliant. The way he, he really understood how to. To, to get the feelings from his own mindset and body how the fatigue was going and he would convey that and so we would continually adjust the program according to uh, making sure that he was able to do the sessions well enough to get the value and the improvement that we were after and and that's what I'm so that makes it so pleasing as a coach to to see someone who actually follows that that mindset and that uh, that uh, trust in 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 what we're trying to achieve together and and when it comes off, it's, it's absolutely in, incredible feeling for both athlete and coach.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned a really good point that you said, you know, it doesn't have to take three years to get at this point. We just say that if someone is with us for three years, they really start to hit this incredible improvement. But we said we had the exact same conversation almost a year ago with Nick. He was hitting peak power numbers. He was riding in the form of his life. He was doing all these things really well. It's just he's been able to just continue this improvement, which you know is really hard to do. And if you looked at a graph of his his fitness, you know, for example, and it almost looks exactly like a staircase over the last three or four years um but it has to be said that it wasn't an exact staircase it was more like a graph that goes up 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 and then down a little bit then up 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 then down a little bit and then there was some big little periods where you had a bit of time off or a break and it was really down for a bit but the general trend if you drew a straight line was a linear progression upwards and that's a really important point to notice that it wasn't a linear progression all the time it wasn't up every week or up every month for three years straight you know it was you know, really improving for 12 weeks and then uh, potentially being too fatigued and needing a little bit of a break or needing a little bit of a rest or having some purposeful or conscious time off or, you know, actually programmed time off or, or programmed down periods. Um, and there was definitely some unprogrammed periods where it was like, I'm just not motivated right now and I need to just back off the training a little bit. And if you just, if you could see a visual image of that graph, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about, where it's, Overall, the trend is upwards, but if you break it down to the minute you know weeks, days, months, um, it definitely wasn't the case, but that is the beauty of consistency and it's not just the training, it's the, that, that discipline is um, carried across to all the extra work outside that he does the exact same standard for, so for gym training heat training, um, nutrition, all these things. And we're not just doing this to pump Nick's tires up because um, Nick and I have a very healthy rivalry where (laughs) where it pains me to pump him up this much. (laughs) Um, But it is a really good example by the athletes out there for what the absolute gold standard is and what you can achieve when you do this.
1: Yeah. And it's motivating to hear a story like that. And you, you immediately want to know, oh, what, what did he do? How did he do that? Mm. And, and that's, that's the good part, but, but there are periods and it has to be said that there were down periods where, you know, it's not all up the whole time. And I think you've made that, uh, that really clear in your, your previous example of, you know, the staircase where he had, you know, he had a whole lot of time where things weren't going that well. So, you know, you have to take stock of that and, and you can't be up for 12 months. You can't. Even the elite pros have time off. And mm-hmm. so structuring that into a program where, you know, you've got to identify where your key, key, key months are, are wanting, where you want to be at your best for those key months. And, and for in Australia, you know, the Tour of Bright and the Nationals in January. So the Tour of Bright's in December, the Nationals are in January. Um, the elite nationals and the masters nationals are in september so there's there's a key period where you want to be up and then there are other other events after that like the, the melbourne to Warnable in february or the grafton in april there are other key races that that you could be doing or you could be doing some really big gravel races that Nick, nick's done i'm giving you an example of what your calendar could look like and before you know it you're just continually training the whole time for the next six weeks for the next event and that's not something we'll That we advise and that's what we were doing earlier as well we were making mistakes like that similar to to what i've just explained there you can't you can't have eight a races you have to have to make sure that you're progressing your fitness and your peak power at a at a level that's sustainable and you need to recover from that period um like as soon as the nationals are over in january nick needs to take you know a week or two where he's got some downtime um um, and, that you know, that's what I'm trying to get the message across to everybody. It sounds like this big picture of, oh, if you just keep training, you'll get progression um, and you don't take any, any downtime. Well, that's actually not the case. You actually have to uh, strategize your year um, uh, as well as you can so that you're at your peak when you want it most.
0: That's a great way to finish. And yeah, this has been a big episode um, talking about this exact topic. But there's been so much in this that um, we think is just so important and so valuable for you to hear. And um, we're not, we really want to emphasize the point that we're not saying that you have to be the perfect athlete because it's so hard to do that. And it's so hard to train so disciplined and so perfectly all the time. And, and things come up that get in the way. And that's not the message we're trying to send. It's really a message of, um, of understanding the power of a whole, a whole bunch of the f- the fundamental principles here. So consistency is one of them, and above all else, we you know we talk about so many things in this podcast, so many different topics about how you can improve, where you can find improvement, um, all the one percentage you can do, um, understanding power, understanding efficiency, understanding VO2 max, understanding lactate testing. We can just go down a, a million rabbit holes, and we do because because we love it, but. At the end of the day, you know the person who is just more consistent will beat anyone that's focusing on that on that other stuff. Any day of the week, they'll beat them if they're just more consistent. Even if they're doing a worse program, they'll be if they're more consistent, they'll probably beat them. And that's a really fundamental principle to know. And and it can get overwhelming with the amount of advice out there. You can hear so many different conflicting things from coaches, from friends, from people in the sport. Um, from you know a new report suggests in quotation marks, um, a new YouTube video pops out. Um, of people saying, I train this way, and then everyone jumps on that trend. It can get overwhelming. Uh, it can get confusing sometimes. And so we're, we're trying to spread this message and, and share this fact that um, when it comes down to simple, consistent, hard training with a good structure, uh, we'll, we'll win most of the time. And if you can just go back to that, and it does get less overwhelming, and you can find more enjoyment in that as well.
1: I couldn't agree more. And um, it, it's kind of our philosophy a bit, but, but turning up each day is bloody hard. And and if you can just keep turning up each day, and and the sessions are there, just do the sessions. Don't don't be like a a person with a spotlight, like a rabbit, the spotlight's on you, and see someone do something over there and follow them. Do that, do those four hill climbs with them, and then and then see someone else doing some threshold riding over there. Oh, I should do some of that. And then oh, I saw someone do VO two. Oh, and now I saw someone do zone zone two work for a whole month oh maybe i'll do that just turn up each day with the structure that the program has got you and tick those boxes and stay in those zones that the program is asking you to do because it should be well worked out if you've got some really good people helping you and and working backwards from your main race if you just do the basics each day and don't complicate it turn up each day and hit the targets by the time you get to the, your a race you're in a way better position than the person who's just jumping from, from you know, headlight to headlight where someone seems like they're doing something better and it's like the fear of missing out all the time, but they're doing that. Why don't we do that? Well, well that might suit them. Let's just follow our structure for this particular campaign. And if we find that it didn't work that well, then we can reassess it. And that's really key here is, is don't forget, just keep turning up. And that's what consistency is. Every day you wake up, there's another training session, whether it's a recovery day or a high intensity day, do what the session's asking and don't do any more or any less.
0: Most people, and this is kind of a hard thing to say, but when I say most people, most of us, and I really include myself in that because I get caught up in this a lot because I love researching the latest training. I love researching what the Norwegians are doing I wanting to try it, but... I have to remind myself all the time, just make sure you're training properly. You know, Just make sure that you're getting the volume in of high intensity that you need. You're getting the consistency of zone two training. You're getting that that but that endurance um, riding consistently because we talk about it all the time. Look back at the last 24 weeks of your program, you know, the last six months, because what you do six months ago or three months ago really starts to pay dividends at this point now. How many endurance rides did you tick off? Did you tick off 24 out of 24? You know, Did you tick off 24 endurance runs out of 24? there was potentially two high intensity sessions a week did you tick off 48 out of 48 you know the closer you can get to those numbers you better you're going to be and that's almost as simple as it needs to be um but the other factor is uh you spoke about the coach athlete relationship a lot of people might say oh, i want to jump on nicks program but this has been a lot of quote i'm going to use this word really carefully experimenting experimenting can sound really bad it was very very um, very well thought out and purposeful um hypothesis um kind of training program and we know we know we have a really sound understanding of what could work and we have some really strong hypothesis and we spoke to um you know a few experts that we know and and got their opinion on what we were thinking um to kind of manipulate this program a bit but you know understand that this is a really top level cyclist who is willing to try and take that on and, and and try those out and um a lot of age groupers wouldn't be willing to do that. And that's fair enough. You just kind of want to know what works and, and stick to a program that's worked before. But what we are now seeing with a lot of the professionals out there is um, they're, they're showing a lot of their training. A lot of them are still experimenting as well. You know, they're going to the world champs at Kona or the world champs at Nice. And they've just done a pretty experimental program in the last 12 weeks. And Lucy Charles was an, another example recently where she did a video saying that she normally trains on erg mode. This is so funny because we talk about it so much, but she normally trains on erg mode on the trainer. And in this block, she more of her training than normal was on the trainer leading into Kona um, for various reasons. And she decided not to use ERG mode um, uh, for, for this block for various reasons. I won't go into massive detail. But my point is that you know, in her last six weeks before she won the World Champs, she did something she, she probably hadn't tried before. Um, and it actually helped her uh, and enabled her. And she puts you know, a key part of her training block was this, this massive block she did indoors in a controlled environment uh, down to her win and down to her ability to execute solo on race day. Um, and for me, that was just an awesome example where you know, the world champ is 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 re- uh, revolutionising their own training, um, is paving a new path for themselves and and trying something new. But we're seeing all these athletes, you know, Lionel Sanders try the Norwegian method for twelve months, hated it, didn't agree with what they said, and then and then switch back to a new method. So. Uh, yeah, there's a lot in everything I just said, but um, you're getting the point I'm trying to make of, of this, this whole concept of trying to simplify it and it's okay to experiment, but at the same time, um, in the back of your mind know the, the fundamental principles.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't be apologizing for um, any, any coach or athlete that is trying something different. and that's how we learn. Uh, all of the best athletes, um Britzen and and the other Norwegians and over the over the years, you know the Ron Clark's of the world and Herb Elliott's. You know they had a, had a coach, uh, people called a crazy guy Percy serity who who had them running sand dunes and and Herb Elliott went on to win the 1960 1500 meters at Tokyo by 10 meters and he was just so far above everybody else. They're examples of of taking risks and it, you call it experimenting, but it's actually a belief and a, and a trust in a, and a process that you think is going to get the best outcome. And, and that's actually how all of the all of the modern t- training t- uh, methods evolve is because mm-hmm. people have gone out on a risk. If everybody trained the same way for the last 60 years, do you think we'd have records being yeah. broken? They wouldn't be. Yeah. So all of these coaches, they're confident, they're backing themselves, they've got some scientific evidence and data tells them if we do this well, this is going to be the outcome. And majority of the time, that's actually what's been happening. And, and, you know, you could talk about it in soccer tactics with trying a different method of playing a game of soccer with holding possession or being a pressing team or, you know, these are tactics that could backfire in your face. And just like the, the, the sessions that we provided Nick with, sure, it they, they could have gone horribly, horribly wrong, but, but we had confidence in our research that it hadn't been done this way before for him. But if we, if we trusted the process, um, it would get the outcome we wanted. And fortunately, you know, for everybody, that's what happened. But, but there could be examples of it not working for some people. And, and therefore you, you have to try something different again. And, and, you know, there's thousands of examples of people going through different processes. But what I'm trying to say is don't be jumping from one to another without actually going all the way through to the final. And then getting some, some information back. There's no point in, in following a process and then doing a version of it. And then at the end of it saying, well, that didn't work. Well, yeah. it didn't work, but probably because you did a version of it instead of doing the session and the process properly.
0: And don't get it twisted here. We're not saying that you can, as, as, especially as coaches, we're not saying that we can just throw an experimental program at you and then, and then if it doesn't work, throw your hands up and say, oh, look, we'll try on something. You know, that's absolutely not what we're about. You know, our principles of testing regularly are there for a reason because we want feedback about whether something's working or not. And we're not afraid to hide or shy away from that feedback. So if you test yourself after six weeks after we've tried it, the program doesn't work, we're not going to sit there and say, oh, it was just an experiment. We need to really dissect it. Why didn't it work? What was different? What were the factors here? And what could we change for the next block? You know, we, we don't just accept the result as it is. We really dive into that. And that's, that's a really important point so the athlete can trust that um, even if a result doesn't go your way, which, which doesn't happen too often, uh, but it can happen for sure, um, you can trust that, you know, that's not going to stay like that and you're going to change something for the next block. And I, I think that's really important. And also, from our perspective, um, you know we have a personal, We're so confident in the process that we do have a personal guarantee when someone starts coaching with us that you will improve your FTP in the first eight weeks. If, if if not, the money it's money back guarantee. So the, the coaching's on us. So um, that is our our personal promise. So that shows how confident we are in the process. But it has to be said that, that these things can happen. So um, I think we'll finish there. Is there any, any last point you wanted to make?
1: Uh, no. I was going to say something there, but uh, I. I definitely agree with everything you just said at the end there, and and at the end of the day, um, you will get what you deserve, and I think that is if you if you turn up each day, you are going to be a better a better chance of getting the goal that you set yourself, and so if you fundamentally focus on my job is to turn up each day, and and uh, execute as well as I possibly can. Um, and I don't mean turn up and train hard each day. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying turn up and do the program the way it's written each day. Then you will. That's as simple as it has to be. Don't make it harder than that. Um, and I think that would be my takeaway from from I think what the guys have done well in this particular example. We're using one stage race where they've all prepared pretty damn well, I must say, and and they've you know they've achieved the results that the, that most of them wanted.
0: Yeah, I yeah I agree. It's a it's been a fascinating topic. I mean, we were supposed to talk about a pretty different topic in this episode, but I I really have enjoyed this conversation. I love the path that's gone down. We've had a pretty honest conversation about training, racing, and consistency and mindset. Um, and I kind of judge the value of these episodes on on how much I learn, and I definitely learned a lot because I've heard. I've heard it almost as much as I can from, I feel like, from you over the journey of my lifetime about training and racing and coaching. And still on the weekend, I learned some pretty drastically new lessons, you know, going through this process for the Tour of Right, which was really exciting. So I think that was really valuable. I did want
1: to say one more thing was, um, to be fair, and, you know, you know, this is what's happened um, with me coaching um, all f- four of my children, that that i was experimenting on myself in all of my career and i was experimenting with you guys in what what i thought was the best for you guys and and some of the stuff i tried on myself didn't work Um, and then some of the stuff i tried worked incredibly well so all the training sessions that i give to our athletes i've made you do or i've done myself and and we've had you know poor outcomes that we just scrapped that that style of training and and we've had really good outcomes where we've got oh let's just let's make this a little bit um fine tinkering with this a bit more and make it make it more manageable for all the athletes but we certainly uh that's one point i wanted to make is we we do experiment a lot on ourselves before we're we're putting it out there which is uh you know it's almost like uh, we're in the lab and then once we find the the solution to to our problems and we we certainly, uh, with confidence, go out and, and drive the athletes to to get get on board with it.
0: I will set the record straight. There was no there was no um, serious lab experimenting on us as children. <laughs> it, was, it was just a bit some different variations of VO two max training and, and different track sessions. And I, I won't go down this hole, but I was randomly thinking about the type of high school training we did, um, and I was knowing what we know now. You know, fifteen years ago, it was quite inefficient training um, when I when I look back on it um, and. Yeah, a whole other rabbit hole of things, um, but I, that was actually an interesting discussion point I was thinking about. So that's enough for this episode. It's been a monster one of Talking Tactics. Just a reminder, we have our current giant giveaway happening. Giant, our, our sponsors have put away an ultimate package that you can win. You just need to go to our Instagram, find the giant giveaway post, and tag two endurance buddies in there to win. For your chance to win... Two set of KDX wheels. And these Cadex wheels can be any set you want. They can be uh, wheels for your time trial bikes. They can be um, front quad spoke and back rear full disc wheel. They can be road racing, carbon KDEX wheels. Uh, if you win the prize, you get to choose any set of KDEX wheels you want, plus a tri tri-suit, plus a $300 Science in Sport SIS uh, nutrition pack, plus some other little goodies, hats, socks, drink bottles as well. So if you want your chance to win that, the competition will close next week. Go to our Instagram page, tag two Endurance Buddies in the comment and make sure you are following Trivello and Giant Australia on Instagram. All the instructions are there uh, for you to enter and you can gain an extra entry if you follow the instructions in the post. You'll see how to gain the extra entry for your chance to win at the moment. We've got about, we just released the post yesterday, we've got about 500 entries. So at the moment, it's a pretty good chance to win a brand new set of KDX wheels valued at approximately $6,000. So make sure you go do that on our Instagram page. Thanks as always for listening to another episode and we'll see you on the next one.